Well, welcome back to Q&A part two. Um, normally we end our Q&A on Sunday afternoons and then that's it, but we had more questions come in. So we're gonna take this as an opportunity to have some more dialogue to go over these questions and really expound on some of these topics. So here we go. Without expounding meaning it's gonna go for an hour. That's true, yes. <laughs> we are gonna limit the time. Okay. <laughs> Not for an hour, um, although I'm sure there's some great conversations. You know what, I can expound, so I don't wanna expound too That's long. true, so we'll give you a time limit. Okay. Here's the timer. Um, first question. What is the Christian ceiling if it is Christ living in us and not ourselves? Compare this to Mark 16, verses 17, 18. Ah. Uh, compared to what? Uh, Mark chapter 16, verse 17 through 18. Mark 16, mm-hmm. 17 through 18. Uh, these signs will accompany those who have believed in my name. Uh, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will pick up serpents, and they will. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. So <clears throat> that passage uh, by uh, the gospel writer is after the. Disciples of commission, and Jesus is saying, you're going to do what I did. So the question is, what's the ceiling? Yes. Uh, another, which I love the question in the sense of how, what can I aspire to? Oh, uh, okay. Right? What's the ceiling? How, how much can I really be like Jesus? Because okay. I think it's an overflow, we said, uh, from the passage, from Ephesians 2, 1 and 3, uh, we were dead, now we're alive. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were enslaved, and now we're free. And we were children of wrath, now we are children of God. The Holy Spirit lives in us. So uh, I've said oftentimes there's this idea that, that we excuse ourselves, even as believers, with the kind of release, well, God knows I'm only human. Not true. If I'm a child of God, I am human, but I'm not only human. I'm now a partaker of the divine nature. So what's my ceiling if Mm -hmm. I'm a partaker of the divine nature? Uh, I'm not God. Right. Big difference between the spirit of God living in me and being God. So I'm not God. So bring the ceiling down to there. Uh, So the question ultimately is how can I be perfect? Mm. I think that's probably maybe a part of this question. Can I do everything that Jesus did? Well, uh, and those are two different questions there. Can I do everything that Jesus did? He said, uh, John 14, 12, if you want to compare that uh, to the Mark 16, he said, the things that I did, you're going to do also and even greater than these things. So can I do what Jesus did? Uh, I can't, but he can, and he lives in me. And so if he chooses to do the supernatural through me, I should be prepared to believe and to obey so that the supernatural would happen. Can I be perfect, though? Um, This this has been a... um, So I probably won't resolve this in eight minutes or whatever. (laughs) Uh, Been debated through the millenniums regarding can a Christian be perfect? And I think ultimately, 
you might want to be able to say, well, theoretically, if I have Second Peter chapter one, two through four, if I have everything that I need for life and godliness, then theoretically, can I? Do I have the horses, if you will, the horsepower, the spirit of God in me, to be godly? I do. But will I? Hmm. I know I won't. Right. I know I won't. No, I mean, from my perspective, (laughs) I agree is what I should say in the sense that I, for myself. And, yeah, I don't think, and so I'm not interested in the theoretical argument. Hmm. Theoretically, could I be perfect? Now, biblically, it says I have everything I need for life and for godliness. And so I should aspire to live in the fullness of that. So my ceiling is I have everything that I need for life and for godliness to the degree that I learn to walk in the spirit every moment of every day, but not only in my actions, but then in my attitudes and then in my thoughts and then in my motives. Hmm. So I think in those terms because um, transformation into Christ-likeness, I think, often is a process from, and not only am changed, and therefore new nature, my actions begin to change, but then uh, I, attitude needs to catch up to that, and then the thoughts, the stuff that goes in my head that I don't let come out of my, ho- my mouth, uh, that needs to be taken every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, and then my motives that that I not only do right things in the right way, but I do them for the right reasons. So am I going to do everything, every moment of every day in every area of my life in action, attitude, thought, and motive perfectly? No. It's not an excuse to sin. It is a reality that um, I am tempted. Jesus was tempted in every way that I am. That's what Hebrews chapter 4 says. But the difference is he did not have a sin nature. Being born of a virgin, he didn't have a sin nature. I have a sin nature. So uh, I'm not enslaved to that sin nature anymore because of what Christ has done for me. But it still has work in my life. Mm -hmm. And it is a ever-increasingly, hopefully, growing in Christ that I sin less, I fear less, uh, I worry less, um, I shrink back less. So I'm growing because 2 Corinthians 3.18 uh, but we all with unveiled face are seen and being transformed from one degree of glory to another, even by the Spirit. So the suggestion of, not the suggestion, the indication of Scripture is that I would be growing in Christ, so sinning less. Uh, but he, here is here's a verse I think that speaks to this that actually has, um, in a strange way, encouraged me. It's Psalm 32. It's one of the Psalms, Psalm 32, Psalm 51, are the two Psalms that deal with David's 
uh, response to his sin of oh, okay. adultery and then mm-hmm. murder. Um, it says, um, when I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away uh, through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. So it shows the, the impact that sin has mm-hmm. on all of us. Then he says, I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. So he didn't hide any longer. He acknowledged it to the Lord, and he experienced forgiveness. Here's what I love. Therefore, verse 6 of Psalm 32, Therefore let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time when you may be found. Mm. And I remember the first time thinking, it don't make any sense. Why would godly people need to pray? And the context is confess your sin. Don't hide it. Confess it. Right, bring and it it's, forward. Yeah. It's why. Because even godly people aren't perfect people. So you think of the most godly people we know and we go, uh, they sin less. They fear less. They worry less. They disobey less but they're not perfect. And so in those um, times, even godly people go, I confess my sin to the Lord. Hopefully that's less confession, not because we confess less, because of less sin. So the ceiling, not perfect in reality. In theory, uh, you can debate that as long as you want. (laughs) I'm not interested (laughs) in debating the theory. In reality, uh, to be growing from one degree of glory into Christ-likeness so that hopefully our spouses would experience that mm-hmm. more godly, not perfect, more godly. Our kids would experience that more godly, not perfect, but more godly. Uh, the church people in our small group would experience that more godly, but not perfect. So I think that's the ceiling. You know, that's interesting. That's ne- never a question that I thought to ask. About What's the, the ceiling? ceiling? Yeah, yeah. It's just something that's never crossed my mind thinking through a progressive growth and sanctification that that's just not a question i thought it was interesting yeah and that's why i appreciate the question Mm -hmm. in the sense of i want to be all that god has intended me right to be but for the 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 other way to say this is this Uh, by the cross uh, my sin has been paid for Mm -hmm. By the resurrection, the power of sin has been broken in my life, but only in my glorification, only when I am face-to-face with the Lord will the presence of sin fully and ultimately be gone. So I am living in between the power of sin being broken in life and the presence of sin being eradicated from my life. That's where we live. And in oh, this world, yeah, in this world, I hope I'll be growing closer and closer to what heaven will bring fully and finally. Hmm. That's a good description. I'm tracking with that. Um, so the other question we talked, someone had asked about this yesterday as well, about, um, or sorry, Sunday, about unforgivable sin. So this question just went into a little more light on that. It said, I thought blasphemy was the unforgivable sin. Can you shed light on that? And I know we talked about a lot of preconceptions or misconceptions that Uh, people have had over time, but maybe worth kind of going back over that. 
Uh, I, okay, I'm trying to think about how I answered that, and and I think I may have said a grieving of the 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 unforgivable sin is the sin of unbelief. Right. Um, and that's a translation on my part, so that's a fair question. The text says a blasphemy of the spirit. That's the unpardonable, the unforgivable sin, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, not the blasphemy of the Father, not the blasphemy of the Son, but the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And I think it is the blasphemy of the Spirit specific because the role of the Holy Spirit, according to Jesus in the upper room, John 16, is that he would bring conviction of sin. And the work of the Spirit is to bring conviction of sin in my life so that I would repent of that sin. So the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is the refusal to respond to what the Spirit is doing in an individual's heart, which is bringing conviction, and I resist it, I reject that conviction, I refuse to repent, and if I refuse to repent, I can't be forgiven. So, i.e., blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is an unforgivable sin because forgiveness cannot be attained apart from repentance. Right. It's not sought after, not seeking forgiveness and repentance. Uh, well, he is seeking repentance from us. Right, right, on our part. Yes, he is seeking, the, the conviction is intended to produce repentance from us. So, when mm. he is doing his work, bringing conviction, and we are refusing to respond to it. We are blaspheming the Holy Spirit, not the Father or the Son, but the Spirit, and therefore we can't be forgiven because there is no forgiveness apart from repentance. Hmm. And that's not suggesting that someone, you know, Spirit knocks on their heart, they ignore it. Spirit knocks on their heart, they ignore it, that then that third time that it's not impossible for them to then respond Uh and accept Christ. Excellent clarification. Um, I'm not saying that if the Spirit convicts you once and you don't Mm -hmm. repent, you can never be forgiven. If the Spirit convicts and you don't repent, and the Spirit convicts and you don't repent, the Spirit convicts and you don't repent, uh, and you never repent, then you can't be forgiven. It's possible that a lack of responsiveness will cease the convicting work of the Holy Spirit. And Mm. so once conviction starts, then repentance isn't going to take place. And I'm not suggesting that a person who has repented and believed and been born again, and then there is still sin issues in their life, and that there's conviction and a grieving of a spirit that somehow now they will not be forgiven and they will be cast out of the family of God back to a child of wrath because we believe we're sealed by the Spirit and right. therefore sealed by the Spirit. We will, uh, once part of the family, we will always be part of the family. Right. So the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is not something a believer can do. Right. Makes sense? Yes, okay. that makes sense. I think that's a good follow-up on that one. Cool. Well, those are our, those two questions that we really yep. wanted to dig into um, this afternoon to catch up on great questions and really appreciate all the questions that are sent in each and every week. Yes, I do. And so just as a reminder, after listening to Q&A, whether it's on Sunday or later on in the week, we encourage you to subscribe 
to the podcast. So search CFC Jacks, whatever streaming service you use for your podcast and subscribe. That way, when we post additional podcasts during the week or conversations, you will be notified that there's something new there for you to listen to. So again, thanks for tuning in and we'll hope you subscribe.